turn to Proverbs chapter 4 with me. And look at verse 20 of chapter 4. A father has written to his son. And these are the words he writes. We're kind of dropping down into the middle of this message. But in verse 20 he writes, My son, my son, Gosh, it's hard to get past those words because I just spent a week with my son. And I remember reading these Proverbs to him. I understand what it means for a father with a heart of compassion, fear, hope to be reading these words to his children. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance. vigilance, For from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, and all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Father, these are your words to us this morning. Lord, you are speaking. You have spoken and you are speaking speaking by your spirit. And as you speak this morning, Lord, let us be like the young man addressed in this passage that we can incline our ears to your sayings, that we can be attentive to your words. Help us to do that this morning, Father. Father, help us to meet you this morning. And Lord, would you help me in my weaknesses to bring this truth to my friends that they may be encouraged and blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. Proverbs is a book teaching a son to see the difference between deed and destiny. What you do and where you end up going because of what you do. That's the purpose behind the first nine chapters of Proverbs. And it it depends on what path we choose. And although seemingly unimportant at first, the choices that we make in life do lead either to life or they lead to death. That's the warning and the wisdom of Proverbs. That's the the passion of the father in Proverbs in protecting his son that he's writing to. The, The choices we make and the paths that we take reflect what we think about life. And more importantly, they reflect what we think about God. 
and who God is and what God means to our lives. And although this book is written from a father to a son in ancient times, the wonderful, wonderful truth about Proverbs is that Proverbs is eternal wisdom. Proverbs doesn't stop with a father and a son, but it includes you and me. It is a book of eternal wisdom. These words are still applicable and necessary for us today. But it's an interesting book. Ray Ortland says about the book of Proverbs, it is a book that seldom takes you to church. I love that. Its function in Scripture is to put godliness in working clothes. In other words, to teach you how to live practically. Its purpose is to help you run the race without falling off the path. The race that we are to run for Christ. To remain on the path that God has called us to remain on. To not fall off that path. John Piper tells a story about an older woman in his church, Elsie Viren, was for 62 years on the staff of Bethlehem Baptist Church in various capacities, simply called church ministry. She was a rock of persevering faithfulness to Christ and his church. Near the end of her life, she lay with a slowly mending hip in the Augustana home near the church. Her memory was limited and her eyes were dim. But she knew when we came, and she talked with customary spunk and courtesy and gratitude. During her final illness, I preached two messages at the church under the theme Olympic spirituality because the Olympics were on everyone's mind. The Bible speaks of running the race in Hebrews 12 and fighting the fight in 2 Timothy and pommeling the body in 1 Corinthians in athletic discipline. So I asked the question, how can Elsie run? She does not look like an Olympic marathoner these days. How can Elsie box? Or does she even have to? Are running and boxing only for the fit and hardy? The answer is that we must all run, whether old or young, whether sick or healthy. And this is possible for the sick and senile because the race is run with the heart, not the legs. And the fight is fought with the heart, not the fists. I think that's the point that the writer of Proverbs is making here. The key verse here is in verse 23. And I love the NIV version rather than the ESV because I think the NIV captures it a bit more powerfully rather than saying, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. The NIV says, above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. Above all else, guard your heart heart, for it is the wellspring of life. You and I are like Elsie. Your race is not run with your body, but it is run, this Christian race is run with your heart. It's why you must, above all else, guard your heart, for it is 
the wellspring of life. There is no more important endeavor as believers. There's no more worthy goal. There is no greater cause. There's no more satisfying experience. There's nothing that God says is of more importance in our lives that we run this race of the heart. Why? Because the ultimate goal of your Christian life is not sanctification or glorification or rewards in heaven. We guard our hearts because the ultimate goal of our Christian life is knowing and loving Jesus Christ. Sanctification is a wonderful goal. It's a goal that is on my New Year's resolution every year. I want to be more sanctified. I don't do New Year's resolutions. (laughs) Tried it once. Not going to have any chocolate this year. Yeah. Lasting about three seconds in the kitchen. (laughs) No, they don't work. No, the goal of our lives is not New Year's resolutions. It's not even sanctification. It's not glorification. It's not eternal rewards in heaven. The goal of our lives is knowing and loving Jesus Christ. And the one place that we know and love Christ is in our hearts. And it is why above all else, we must guard our hearts In Proverbs, the ultimate prize of wisdom is the knowledge of God, knowing God, searching for Christ as for buried treasure. You you shall come to know him with a growing intimacy. That's the reward of Proverbs. That's the, the promise of Proverbs. That's the carrot on the stick of Proverbs. You'll know God. John 17, 3 And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. Oh, brothers and sisters, that's the goal. That's what I want 2015 to be all about for Grace Church. That you know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom God has sent. J.I. Packer says the desires of our hearts reveal what our treasure is. And if our treasure is not Christ, we will perish. That's a pretty profound and strong statement. If our treasure is not Christ, we will perish. It is in the knowing and loving Jesus. The knowing and loving Jesus that brings everything else in our life into focus. You want to you focus more on, on your life and what your life is about and what God desires for you to accomplish, whether it's at your work or your family or your friends or just your daily living, even your recreation. It's to focus in first on your knowledge of Christ. Because when that is in focus, everything else now has its proper perspective. You can see more clearly. But how do you come to know and love Christ more? How do you grow in your affection for the Savior above all else? Because that's what this 
passage is telling us. You do it by guarding your heart. In the first nine chapters of Proverbs, this wise father is instructing his son in the way of wisdom, the way to walk, the way to live, the way in which we come to know and love God as our ultimate treasure. He's painting this picture time and again of this treasure, and he's talking about gold and silver, but this treasure that, that is painted before the sun is ultimately, it's the knowledge of God. During my time of convalescence with my knee surgery, you knew I watched a lot of Alaskan State Trooper and uh, North Maine Woods Law Enforcement. And, uh, but there was one other on the Discovery Channel. It's called Gold Rush. And it's these guys who, you all, you watch it, don't you? These guys who, who are just unbelievable idiots going after gold. They make mistake after mistake after mistake. They, they're working in the worst of weather. It's, it's 20 degrees. There's snow on the ground. They're, they're crashing through ice to get to gold. Their machinery's breaking down. People are getting hurt. And this time and time again, they're going after the gold. Now, this is physical gold. And they have this TV show now that's been on for four years. It's such a hot TV show because what does it do? It draws the heart of people who want to go after treasure. And every one of us who watches it, for those of you who are far more spiritual than those of us who do watch it, um, I'll explain it to you a little bit more. It is, it's just week after week, these guys are hunting for treasure and they'll go through anything to get it. And it's temporal. It's temporal. I mean, you get the, you kind of get this, this picture at the end of every show, they they take the gold that they have found and it's always more like gold dust and small rocks and they heat it up and melt it down and, 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 and you get the realize, you know what? This is going to burn up one day. This is all going to disappear. But not Christ. Not Christ. And specifically in the fourth chapter, this father implores his son above all else. Keep your heart with vigilance. Guard your heart, for from it flow the springs of life. All life flows from within your heart. The treasure of having Christ in your heart is where your life flows from. It is a wellspring. Didn't Jesus say in John 4 that he would give us living water? It is, he is the wellspring of life. And the intention is that either your heart is going to be a wellspring of life, or if you do not guard it, it's going to be a polluted spring. Which will it be? Think about Think about what the gospel has done to cleanse your heart, to make it a clean spring. Romans 6.14 tells us that our hearts are no longer enslaved to sin. Romans 5.5 says that God's love has been shed abroad or poured out into our hearts. 
Hebrews 10.22 says that God has cleansed our hearts that we might draw near to Him. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Our hearts are sprinkled clean, says the writer of Hebrews. And in 1 John 3, your hearts no longer condemn you. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence with God. That is a heart that is not polluted. That is a heart that has been cleansed by God. That is a heart that is being guarded. That is a heart that has Christ living in it. And the writer here is saying, guard it from getting polluted. Because there are numerous warnings in Scripture that plead with you to guard your life, to guard your heart. Because you know well that even though you are no longer under the power of sin, you still live in remaining and real presence of sin. Doesn't take long to spend time with family at Christmas to recognize that remaining sin still exists. Your heart has been transformed by Christ, but it still needs guarding. And I want to I want to encourage you today to keep your heart with all vigilance, to guard your heart above all else, that it might not become polluted, that you become a guardian, that you become the man standing there as the protector of your heart. Uh, Charles Hodges said it is the talking about the heart. If the citadel be taken, the whole town must surrender. If the heart be seized, the whole man affections, desires, motives, pursuits, all will be yielded up. The heart is the vital part of the body. A wound here is instant death. A wound here is instant death. Guard your heart. And verse 23 is the hinge verse of this passage. Your heart, God, thank you so much. Your heart belongs to Jesus. If you've come to faith in Christ, if you've put your trust in Christ, your heart belongs to Jesus. He has promised to keep you. He has promised to never let you go. But you have a job to do. You have a call to follow. You have a command to obey, to keep your heart from being polluted, that your affections for Christ would not dim and would not become polluted. Here's my, here's my point today, my proposition for you. If you do not fight to keep your heart captivate, captivated by an affection for Jesus, it will be captivated by something else. If you do not fight to keep your heart captivated by Christ, it will be captivated by something else. If you do not fight, if you do not guard to keep your heart captivated by Christ, it will become captivated by something else. So two points this morning. Two points. Number one, 
You must aggressively fight against those things that kill your affection for Christ. You must aggressively fight against those things that kill your affections for Christ. And secondly, you must aggressively pursue those things that build your affections for Christ. So fight against those things that kill your affections for Christ and aggressively pursue those things that build your affections for Christ. So number one, you must aggressively fight against what kills your affections for Christ. And it's simply, let me put it this way. What you desire reveals what you love. What you desire reveals what you love. Jonathan Edwards said, the power of sin is the promise of pleasure to our deceitful desires. The power of sin. The power of sin is the promise of pleasure to our deceitful desires. And what are the affection killers that we have to battle against? I think the the writer of Proverbs gives some to us here. Look at verse 24. Move down a little bit. He writes here, Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Listening. Our our ears. Because look at how he begins in, in verse 20. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. He's going after all the body parts here, not just the heart. He's saying, look, you've got, you've got these ears and you've got to listen. And what you listen to is what is most crucial. And listening to things like he says here in verse 24, crooked speech, devious talk. And I would define that as gossip and slander. I know of no greater troublemaker in a local church than gossip and slander. I know of no easier way to undermine and destroy a local church is through gossip and slander, devious talk and crooked speech. It is the quickest way to sow suspicion towards one another, towards your leaders, towards the church in general, crooked speech and devious talk. And it, is, it is, begins in the heart. Later on in Proverbs, the writer talks about gossip and slander being like a tasty morsel going down into your innermost being. I get that. I get that. I go to Nora's house and Nora always has a dish of candy, tasty morsels right there. And, and, and she doesn't say no. Larry and Nora just watch me eat as I'm there and tasty morsels just keep going down. And it's hard to stop. There's an old commercial years ago, which only those in my age group would remember, but Lay's Potato Chips used to have this commercial that said you could only, bet you could only eat just one, and somebody would eat one Lay's Potato Chip, and then the next thing you know, they're crashing after the Lay's Potato Chip. So we were driving home on the way from Charlotte the other day, and Marilyn had a bag of Lay's Potato Chips, and she gave me one, and I ate it, and then she handed me another and said, no, 
I want to see if I can only do just one. <laughs> and I did. Because it wasn't chocolate. <laughs> Gossip and slander are like that. It's tasty. Oh, it's so easy to hear. It, it just, it makes you feel important. It makes you feel like you're on the inside. It, it makes you feel like, like you know something others don't. It makes you feel powerful. It deceives you and it lies to you. That's why it is called devious talk here and crooked speech. And the way to guard your heart The way to guard your heart is to put away crooked speech, to put away devious talk, to not be a passive listener. We might have the, I think, the temptation to think that gossip is what I say, slander is what I speak or write on the internet, but that's just not true. It's what you are passively reading. It's what you're willing to listen to. Listening to gossip and slander is as evil as speaking gossip and slander. And it takes courage to look at somebody who's beginning to slander a person to say to them, stop. And to not in some way rationalize or justify in our minds that it's okay to listen. It won't bother me. Yes, it will. It will go into your heart. It will not be guarding your heart. And from it will flow a polluted heart, not a wellspring of life. Above all else, guard your heart. Because what kills your affection for Christ is what you allow into your heart. You must guard your heart by, by courageously taking a stand against this kind of crooked speech and devious talk. But it's not just your ears. The writer's after your eyes. Look at verse 25. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. There's this idea that you are on a path and that your eyes can be averted to the left or to the right, that the path you're on is the right path because His Word is a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet. And as we're obeying God, as we're, we're hiding His Word in our hearts, we're walking down that right path. But there's clamoring on both sides, seeking our attention, seeking to draw our hearts, seeking to draw our eyes. And it does, it's pleasant things. I remember once when my daughter first started driving. My daughter, my daughter Jenny is an artist. She's very creative. You, you, you saw her art. It's just amazing. It, it didn't come from me and it didn't come from Marilyn. We have no idea where the talent in our children comes from. Um, now we believe in generational skipping because it, it definitely didn't come from us. But Jenny's this artist. And so when, when she was young and we'd send her up to clean her room, 
we go upstairs and her room was 10 times messier than when she first went up there because she pulled out all the toys and just created this fantasy land. And you'd walk in there and she'd look at you happy. Like, you just entered my fantasy land. Instead of, instead of no, 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 we sent you up here to clean your room. And so that's Jenny. She just, things intrigue her. And so she's driving along one day and there's this, there's this mechanical construction robot. And she just gets intrigued by the mechanical construction robot. And she's just driving and looking until she runs right into the back of another car. And, and, and to, to my amazement, Jenny said, I don't know how I did it. <laughs> Her eyes were averted. It's... It's the things that are often pleasant that this father is after. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. I've backpacked the Grand Canyon a couple of times and one of the the trails that I go down is a very narrow trail and if you do avert to the left or the right, they have this book at the, at the shop at the top of the, the mountain at the head of the, uh, the trail there. And the name of the book is uh, Death in the Canyon. And it just, it just chronicles all of the people who died in the Grand Canyon by walking on the path that you happen to be currently on because they didn't look straight ahead. They looked to the left and they looked to the right. And it just gives story after story of people who died. You know, the woman who brought her little poodle and the poodle ran off to the side of the mountain and the woman followed. Uh, stuff like that. And, and, and you just realize, yeah, if, if we don't obey what this Father is saying and what God is speaking to us, keep our eyes directly forward, our gaze straight before us. But more importantly, ponder the path that your feet are on. Consider the path that your feet are on. Charles Hodges says this, the pleasures of sin and the seductions of a tempting world do not lie in the road. They would not therefore meet the eye looking straight ahead. They belong to the bypaths on the right hand and on the left, or to some backward track. It is only, therefore, when the Christian lingers and turns aside or turns back that they come into sight. That's what Pilgrim's Progress is all about. And we are pilgrims who are making progress forward. Ray Ortland said in in considering pursuing the steps you take, he said, pursuing life from what the world can provide brings about only sadness. Life does not flow from the outside in. It flows from the inside out. We need our hearts continually filled with the ever fresh life of Christ by faith in the gospel. He believes these affection killers, these things that we hear, these things that we see, these paths that we diverge off onto, those are affection killers. Those are the things that we must aggressively kill ourselves. We must courageously fight against. 
The gospel's calls and commands are to give your whole life to him. Your ears, your eyes, the feet that follows, the pathway of Christ, they will grow your affections or your affections will grow cold. If your affections for Christ now are growing cold, let me submit to you that maybe you have wandered off the path. Maybe your eyes are looking where they're not supposed to be looking. Something on the internet that you shouldn't be looking at. Maybe your ears have listened to gossip and slander and suspicion lives in your heart. What are the things that have caused your affections for Christ to grow cold? That's the cold reality that we face if we do not aggressively guard our hearts. But there's a greater reality. That's the gospel. You have within you a God-placed desire to know Christ more. God did a work in you. The hope of Christ in you. Jesus dwells in you. And so you have something to build on. And you build on that by aggressively pursuing those things that build your affection for Christ. How do you keep your heart's affection for Christ? Well, use your ears as you are supposed to. Verse 20, my son, be attentive. Be attentive. Listen with your ears to the words of God. Incline your ears to the words of God. What, what does that mean? It means simply Sunday teaching, hearing God's word preached, worship as we're singing scripture songs, having God's word invested in you, immersing yourself in the words of God, reading your Bible aloud, just listening to the words of God, being attentive as others speak about God. Incline your ears. Be attentive to the words of God. And let them not escape from your sight. I love that, to to encourage us to read God's word. To have, hold fast to to these scriptures. Really, this, this book is about this book. That's what this book is about. This book is about this book and our love for this book that we guard our hearts above all else because the life we find is in the reading and knowing of God through his inerrant, infallible, all-sufficient, perfect word. I love what he says here. Let them not, in verse 21, let them not escape from your sight these words of God. Keep them within your heart. Psalm 119, 11, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. I've hidden your word in my heart. 
What is that? And that's something we're going to be talking about next week. Uh, I am going to introduce next week a scripture memorization program for Grace Church for the next year. Whoever wants to participate, you're not required to participate, but I want to encourage you that if we're going to, above all else, guard our hearts, let us, let us keep God's word within our heart as we endeavor to memorize whatever we can the life-giving Word of God. Above all else, God's Word awakens and strengthens your faith. And that's why we want to keep it above all else. And here, there are promises in verse, 20, in verse 22, for they are life. God's Word is life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. There's a reward There's a reward. There's a consequence if we do not guard our heart. We have a polluted heart. We stray off the path. Our eyes grow dim. Our hearing grows dull. But if we remain on the path, if we keep our heart above all else, we guard it. They are life to us and healing to us. These words from God. There are many blessings to God's word. God's word awakens and strengthens your faith. Your faith in Romans 10. God's word creates and sustains your life. In John 6, God's word gives you hope. In Romans 15, God's word leads you to freedom. In John 8, God's word is the key to answered prayer. In John 15, God's word makes you wise. Colossians 3, God's word enables you as the sword of the spirit to fight against the enemy. God's word is the source of your affections for Christ. Psalm 119 Verse 72. Brothers and sisters, God's word is what is life-giving to us. Hodges says this, can I keep my heart? It's a great question. Larry's just preached on keeping your heart and Hodges comes along and says, can I? Can I keep my heart? Certainly not. Well, what was the purpose of sitting here for the last 35 minutes? Certainly not, he writes. But though it be God's work, it is man's agency. Our efforts are his instrumentality. He implants an active principle and sustains the unceasing exercise. Conscious faith commits keeping the heart to our faithful creator. Yeah, we can't do it. He can, but we do it. It's, it's a wonderful tension in scripture. It's all about him and it's all about us. He wouldn't write these words above all else, guard your heart if we were not supposed to do it and we could not do it. We can fight the good fight of faith. Our affections for Christ can grow and will grow and we can keep our hearts from being polluted. Now, 
I've attempted to make a defense this morning for keeping the heart. Not to make us better Christians. Not to make us better husbands. Not to make us better fathers. Not to make us better workers. Not to make us better friends or better neighbors. But to help us become better worshipers and lovers of Jesus Christ. The gospel is not about how you change your heart for God but about how he has changed your heart for himself. If you do not fight to keep your heart captivated by Christ, it will become captivated by something else. As I pray, the band's going to come up and we're going to end with a, with a song. Father, thank you for <clears throat> helping us keep our hearts Lord, you not only called us, you promised to sustain us. And I pray this morning as these dear friends of mine, our our church considers how to keep their heart. You would give them wisdom in the coming days and weeks ahead. You would give them faith in the coming days and weeks ahead and hope that they can be sustained in staying on the, pa- <clears throat> on the pathway. They could be sustained in keeping their ears inclined to your word and their eyes fixed upon you. Lord, we believe you can do that because you love us. You've proven that love in Christ. Now, Father, I pray that you would do this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.